Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined today by my colleague and my neighbor, Charles Curtis. What's up, Charles? What's better, colleague or neighbor? I feel like neighbor, right? Although it's not like I've run into you out on the street, so I guess I only know in theory that you're my neighbor. I don't know for sure that you're my neighbor. I just get that sense because we uh, can can discuss all of the various particulars of our neighborhood, and you sound pretty well informed on them. I, I like to think so. I, I did grow up on, uh, and for our listeners, we, we're on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I grew up here, so, and, and you basically, you grew up in New York City uh, for all intents and purposes, so, you know. Well, uh, I, I, I grew up on Long stuff. Island. I grew up on Long Island. That's, Are that's, you going to take pride in that? Okay. I, and I do. I rep Long Island hard, because I feel like, because especially from where I grew up on Long Island, uh, which is so close to the city, like Long Island is, it's not just a clever name, it's a fairly Long Island uh, but and so you know you get out to the to Suffolk County and and the 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 Hamptons certainly uh, you know even any place east of Farmingdale you're pretty far from New York City. I grew up very very close to the Queens border, but I feel like when you leave Long Island and you're from where I'm from, everybody just tries to claim that they're from Queens. It's not Queens. It's Long Island. Just own it, right? That's that's always my take. Yeah, and I, I went to school with people who were from, like, right over the bridge in New Jersey, and they called themselves New Yorkers, and I was like, ah, uh, no, you're not. Yeah, you're from and New I'm Jersey. Call you're you from New Jersey. Just, and, like, like, you have, you can actually claim New York City. You're from New York City. That's kind of cool. I, I think that it's probably, no offense, probably growing up on the Upper East Side is significantly less cool than yes. actually being, being like, oh, yeah, I'm from the mean streets of New York City. We don't really live on the mean streets. Also, New York Street, City at this point really doesn't have that many mean streets like it's it's nope. such a big safe city um and we'll talk about it more a little bit we're gonna get hyper local i believe on this podcast but uh what i've been doing and you know as you know i'm fairly new to hosting this podcast uh and what i've been trying to do uh, at least what i did one time before this with luke and and i'm hoping to do more especially with uh you know my my fellow for the win staffers is talk about uh, some of our favorite things that have happened in sports in the past week, you know, at least since uh, the prior podcast, since the prior time we, we ran down them. And so you and I talked this out a little bit before the show. Uh, we're going to each give uh, three top things that happened in sports this week or, or in the world this week. Uh, we don't necessarily stick to sports, so obviously it's a sports podcast. we got to keep a, a sports bent. Does that all make sense? Does that sound reasonable to you? I think you listened to the last one. I did, and, and you're doing a heck of a job there, host. So uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm psyched. That, uh, I'm in. That was all just a setup so you could praise me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll take the 20 bucks after, after we're done taping here. All right, deal. Um, so I'm going to start because I'd like to give you the last one, and then you know, I can sort of set out an example uh, of where we're going. And, and I should say before we go on that this is because it's the first podcast of 2017 after an extremely grim finish from Hemel and I on Friday in which we talked about, you know, inevitable death and how uh, the, the world is, is doomed to suck every year. Uh, you and I both wrote uh, sort of hopeful pieces about 2017. We'll get to those. I think this is... Uh, for the purposes of this exer exercise, we're going to be a little bit more general uh, than, than normal. But I'll start with a, a very recent one and, and something that I think fits perfectly. Uh, this week, a 32-year-old Starbucks barista 
won what is known as the Westgate Las Vegas Super Contest. And, and it's not something I was really familiar with before I read about it today. It is a football handicapping contest uh, run out of Vegas. Uh, this dude, who is just an amateur, who won't yet uh, reveal his full name, which kind of makes sense, I think, if you're coming into a whole lot of money, he won upwards of $900,000 uh, betting on football games this year, betting against the spread this season. Uh, he goes by the nickname Pops because he he resembles a character by that name on the Wayans Brothers show, and, and that character is... is is played by John Witherspoon, who's like a very, very specific-looking type of guy. He, uh, and for a 32-year-old to be pulling that off and owning it, I think, is pretty cool. But I think more than that, and I know you, you, you and I have discussed sports gambling and, and certain aspects of this before, I think the ability to beat the spread, to actually pick against the spread and, and win with consistency is so incredible to me because... Every time I try to bet on sports, every time I even think about betting on sports, what I ultimately come down to uh, after I lose some money is, like, Vegas is so good at it, right? Like, every single factor I think that as a baseball expert, a so-called baseball expert, I might consider, they're on top of that and more. Like, these are the smartest people in the world putting these things together, and I kind of love the idea that another person who might be one of the smartest people in the world is working as a, as a barista at Starbucks and just sort of betting on football on the side. It's an incredible story, and you have uh, you are absolutely kind of hit it on the head that, that this guy won the Super Contest. And, and the Super Contest is so simple in theory and so complex because obviously Vegas, uh, Wise Guys, and Sharps, which are, by the way, two really great nicknames for what they do, they just always get it right. They're the ones who are saying... You know, I really like those points there because of, you know, the weather and the kicker and, the, you know, the, the little details. And he beat all those guys, all of them, all, whatever it is, 1,000. I think it's all close to 2,000 entrants. And the crazy thing is what you talked about with the spread. This guy, he went 54-28-3, you know, with three ties at the end. But that's 65%. He got 65%. That is absurd. I, like, I, I've done picks um, many, many years, and, uh, you know, getting 50% of them right is really good. Uh, because Vegas is that good, so uh, it's it's unbelievably impressive. And uh, you know, this season it just felt to me just with spreads. Because hypothetically, I might have done some of these um, uh, sort of super contests like things. If and for those who don't know the super contest, you pick five against the spread every week. I do something hypothetically that you do six. Um, it is impossible. It is impossible because Vegas always gets like somehow you know within point five of the spread and you just don't know which side to pick and it, it, so kudos to him and, and I can't wait to find out who the guy is and the fact that he's a, a barista is like it just proves to you that just some guys can do whatever they want they don't have to be sharps or wise guys they just they just know and and they beat everybody else, which is insane. Well, and a couple of things to that point. First of all, and this is maybe the craziest part about it, this guy pops, uh, he had two entries, you were allowed a maximum of two entries. He was tied for fourth with both of his entries entering week 17, right? Which is, which is crazy. I mean, you could say, okay, maybe he bet on, on the same teams every single week. I can't imagine that was the case because why would you have two entries then, no. right? And so basically he then, he made, I think, probably the wise move. Uh, clearly he's a, he's a wise guy, uh, not to, <laughs> to reiterate that term, but um, he went, you know, he bet, he made two completely different bets uh, with his final, with his final picks. One of them went 5-0, and and, and that was where he, you know, took home the $900,000. But the other point to this, and this is something, I don't know, I don't, I don't want 
ex- extrapolate too much, but like I feel like as someone who believes himself to be fairly smart and someone who has worked uh, in the food service industry, like people treat you like such crap. And people, I think people assume because you're serving them food or, or doing tasks that they might find you know, menial or, or mundane, uh, they just assume you don't have anything else going on. It used to frustrate me to no end when I was working at the deli and people would come in and just like crap on you or act like you wouldn't be able to make change at the register or anything like that. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I went to college. I'm, I can handle this. Like I'm, and so, I don't know, I would guess it would also be a reminder that maybe the person you're crapping all over who's giving your, you coffee is like a million times smarter than you. I don't mean me, I mean Damon G here. Is like way smarter than you and everyone else you've ever known and might be coming into a million dollars soon, so you might want to be nicer to that guy. Right, right. It's a karmic thing. And and I feel that way all the time about people in service industries. You know, I feel like, you know, give them a smile, be nice. You know, you never know because... Also, they're because serving they might have a million dollars soon. They might have a right. They might have a million dollars. Also, they're serving you your food and your drink, and you just don't know what's happening. And you know, I'm not implying anything about our, our pal Damon here, but you know, just in case, <laughs> you never know. You know, just you just don't want to like poke the dragon when it comes to certain things with with food service people. But my favorite part of the story, by the way, is the fact that he on that Sunday, last Sunday, as as, as we're taping this. He said he had to go to work. So here he is, just imagine, in Starbucks. And you're, you know, on the verge of potentially winning nearly a million dollars. And you're sitting there like, uh, you know, hi, can I, can I have a, a, a cappuccino, no frap, light milk? Uh, you know, I, I'm not a, a coffee drinker, so no, I can't do a really No, you cannot. Good. No, you cannot. I just made a million dollars. Yeah. Right, exactly. Or you're sitting there going, I'm sorry, what did you say again? And the guy's going, oh, no, I can't, like, right now. I need my coffee. Like, and you're sitting there like, listen, man, like, I would sit there and just not be able to work. So, yeah. It's it, it's it's a really great story. I really can't wait for him to come out uh, in in full and 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 say like, here I am, like, dude who works at a Starbucks, and I, here's my giant check, and uh, you know, obviously he's gonna probably invest it again and win more money. I hope because. Uh, it, it, it's a dream. And that's a, I mean, that's a dangerous proponent with, is like, assuming you can keep winning against the, the odds in Vegas, like maybe this guy has a system, but I feel like, and, and this is something I found from, and I have some friends who gamble a lot, and, and some of them have found ways to sort of consistently win money, and usually when that happens, as soon as they start consistently winning, they mix up the odds, right? And they or they take down that bet or they change something about how that bet works so that people can't consistently beat it. And so, you know, I would say there's also some caution. You know, if you win eleven hundred dollars playing roulette as I did my most recent time playing roulette, that doesn't mean you should go back to the roulette wheel. If anything it means you should grab your money and walk away because the casinos the house always wins, right? It's a it's a cliche, but it's true. You're absolutely right, and I think the super contest costs like eighteen hundred dollars to win, something like it, fifteen hundred, whatever it is. It's it's small in comparison to nine hundred thousand dollars. I listen. If I was advising the guy, I'd be like, hey, maybe you don't want to do it, but you know, I say if there's a what percentage of that is that like point one, like let it let it ride a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But like, don't how about that. now go buy nine hundred uh, nine hundred thousand scratch off lotto tickets and see how it works. <laughs> Not quite letting it ride that way. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I I am not sure I would let that. You know, I I'd say like I'm entering the the superbook uh, contest again. But then maybe I'll keep eight hundred and whatever how much I, I have left over nine hundred ninety nine thousand left over for quitting my job and I don't know going around the world. Who knows? I, maybe he can't quit his job on nine hundred thousand dollars. I don't think you could. 
I feel like, I, I mean, I like my job, and our bosses are probably <laughs> listening to this, so we shouldn't say, I wouldn't want to name my walkaway price, but I feel like it's something lower than $900,000. I feel like $900,000 at least buys you, like, okay, like, I can live like a baller for, like, five years on this and then worry about how I make money after that. I think that I would probably... I would probably at least blow like $400,000 on one really awesome party and then from there like try to figure out how many years I could live frugally off that money before I had to return to work. See, that's very interesting. I would I would take that 400,000 that you're spending on your baller party, which sounds to me like uh, uh like Silicon Valley like the party that was thrown at the at uh, uh, Alcatraz, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of party like Yeah, that. it would be a lot like that. Yeah, it'd be pretty sweet, but I'm taking the money, I'm going around the world, just traveling, like, everywhere, anywhere, anywhere, you know, uh, uh, my wife has, has been wanting to go to the, uh, those islands that are off of India that I can't think of that are, that are the, sinking into. The Maldives or? or Maldives, the yeah, Maldives, yeah. yes, the Maldives, so, like, that would be my first stop, and then so on, and so forth from there, so, you know, there you go. If my wife's listening, like, great, like, let's, let me, let me gamble on, hypothetically and win $900,000, like, let's do it. I'm all for it, and I'm also all for getting to the islands that are going to be underwater soon before they are. That's a, that's a very smart plan. Uh, certainly, yeah, you'd like to have that $900,000 sooner than later because, like, maybe Tuvalu is a really sweet place to visit, and there's also, like, it's at risk of not existing in 20 years, uh, which is beyond the scope of this podcast. Let's get to the next thing. What do you got for me? Well, this week, uh, the uh, internet and the NFL uh, fans and every and the media just went nuts over the New York Giants because right after they uh, finished their game against the Washington Redskins in Week 17, they decided, or at least the wideout uh, corp, uh, decided to fly down to Florida and party on their day off, which was well-earned. Uh, you know, in the NFL, you have what's called Victory Mondays. Some some teams do it. Um, I, I wrote about this a long time ago, but, you know, some teams will say, like, if you win, see you... Wednesday and the players go woohoo like we have Monday off and, and not all of them take days off but Tuesday's always a day off in the NFL so if you get that Monday off you get like a really nice chunk of time before you have to get back to the practice field and to the facility uh, and the Giants decided to go down to Florida and party with Justin Bieber and the thing I loved about this story if we're talking about things that have happened last week that we love you got to see the picture if, if, if you're listening right now you should go and google this of Odell Beckham and and all the rest of the, the you know bunch of wide receivers like on a boat with some dudes, and there it looks like an album cover. It looks like like a really awesome '90s album cover, uh, and and it's they're on a boat. It's just it's really really funny. But the fact that media made this big deal out of it just is absurd to me. I think it's more that they party with Bieber, and I wrote a little bit about this uh, on on Tuesday, just about is there a Justin Bieber curse? No, there's not. Uh, so Giants fans like you know worry more about Aaron Rodgers than than a Justin Bieber curse. But you know it's pretty funny that like Justin Bieber is in the middle of yet another sports controversy and I, and I think I think there's a lot here and and I think it's and I'm with you obviously because I think if I'm a Giants wide receiver and I just won a game and I'm going to the playoffs and I've got a, a weekend off yeah I'm going to party with Justin Bieber if Justin Bieber will have me and I think part of the backlash probably comes to the fact that it is Justin Bieber who is like a a widely reviled young man you know be and I think it's you know it's complicated but partly just because he has been 
rich and famous since he was 13 or whatever and and you know we've sort of seen him growing up and do all the dumb things that that we might have done in the in the bubble of anonymity that that Justin Bieber doesn't really get away with some of which were far more dangerous than anything I've ever done and nothing I'm I'm saying is okay it's not good to drive drunk or drag race or do all these crazy things it's just that Justin Bieber has been enabled by money and fame in a way that you and I probably never were and and never will be uh, I think that if it's if the story is Odell Beckham goes and parties with Jay Z over that weekend, I think it's totally different, right? Because I think totally. like because everybody's like, oh well, who wouldn't want to party with Jay Z? Jay Z Jay Z's mega famous, and like from from our generation, and and that's I guess the generation of people doing a lot of the sports writing now. Jay Z's the coolest guy. That's the coolest guy you'd want to hang out with. These guys, the Giants receivers, are 24, 25, 26. Justin Bieber is kind of like the rock star guy, you know, and, and like, look, he's not putting out great music. I'm not saying I, I want to hear what Justin Bieber is up to musically, but like that is, I mean, if you want to pick a dude to party with, that's like kind of the dude to party with. Yeah, it, it's it's Biebs. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, and he, he knows how to have a good time. And uh, I just love how... You know, we've seen him over the years. He he stepped on the Chicago Blackhawks logo while taking a picture of the Stanley Cup, which is such a huge, you know, faux pas in the middle of an NHL locker room. Like, I, I've been in, in locker rooms. I was in the Rangers locker room. And guys would, you know, the, the PR guys would scream, no, don't step on the logo. Do not step on the logo. And the players would, like, give you something if you, if you happen to get near, you know, a little, little just a little poke, like, you know, huh. Uh, and and like he's he's taking pictures with the Steelers and all this, and so he's sort of you know like, and he played hockey a lot of hockey because he's a hockey player like oh, this he's is Canadian. the guy who's he's Canadian. Kind of life. yeah he's Canadian of course so I love it when every so often there's a Beaver story and 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 with a team that I I followed since I was a kid you know the Giants like oh here we go like Beaver's making his way into that too you know it, it's such a uh, it's such a like a Forrest Gump kind of uh, little you know thing like here he is in in this picture and that you know it's it's pretty funny to me that that this is a story and what I love by the way about this is that the Giants head coach Bob, uh, uh, I called him almost called him Bob McAdoo Ben McAdoo said hey players are off till Tuesday so. Whatever they're not working, I don't. I don't care. And you didn't like, say I don't care. And like, and that's, a, that's a, such an annoying thing with with like our media culture, and I and I feel like it's something that's come up even in the few weeks I've been hosting this podcast already. Is that it forces athletes like the knee jerk reaction to anything an athlete does off the field is like, well, he should have been practicing. Are you like that's so insulting? Like the guys in the NFL to be in the NFL, you have to be just like extraordinarily driven and in incredible shape, and you have to spend so much time practicing and working out. Like you do need some other time to do other things, or else you're gonna go crazy, right? And to expect like 24, 25, 26 year old rich young athletic dudes to just be like, oh, I go home and I turn it off and I'm a robot and all I do is I get in my hyperbaric chamber and recover for the next game, it's unreasonable, right? And and I don't think it's, like, why even have the flash and glamour of sports if you're not going to abide your star athletes having some fun now and then? Like, I just don't see why. It's so unfortunate to me that, that there's this huge part, I think, of, like, the sports landscape that just says, like, Anything you're doing besides your one sport is something that you should not be doing and I don't want to hear about. Because to me, I feel like a better connection with an athlete if I see him having some fun off the field. Well, beyond what you're saying, and I completely 150 billion percent agree with you, beyond that too, it also makes the athletes happier on the field. I, that's my thing, right? Like, if Odell Beckham 
wants to party, but he's still performing. It, I think of always Rob Gronkowski, right? Rob, Rob Gronkowski, you know, he's part of, like, the, the most, you know, buttoned-up organization in the world, the New England Patriots, and he parties, and he's out scene partying, and he's got his boat cruise, and he's, like, doing his, like, yeah, dude, you know, kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and be, like, crazy all the time, and he's seen doing it, but... When he performs on the field, the Patriots say, ah, we don't care. Like, if, if he's performing on the field, and that's what sort of, you know, we're not going to call you out on it. Um, I think of, like, guys like, I don't know, like Trevor Bauer, you know, who you've written about extensively. Like, guys who, who embrace certain quirky things that aren't sort of the normal, typical beep-boop robot kind of things that, that um, athletes are supposed to do according to, you know, whatever, you know, made-up uh, rules there are. And and the teams go okay, you do that, like it's fine. Those are the athletes who perform better because they're the ones who say, oh, you know what? They're you know this team understands me, and so I'm just going to go out and you know pitch every fifth day or whatever it is, perform on Sundays, yeah, because I'm happier. No, and and that's something even like Terry Francona said with, with Bauer, and and Bauer is a guy who ruffled a lot of feathers with the Diamondbacks, which was more of a, especially at that time, like sort of a, a buttoned-up organization and one that didn't want him having. And and his is complicated because you know part of what makes him different than a lot of the other baseball players is uh, his entire training regimen is his own, and you know something he's worked on with his own specific trainers and and uh, something he's been figuring out himself for years, you know, and and Frank Kona said during the World Series, like even after the drone thing, like, look, we know this is who Trevor is and, and we want him to be himself. And if, you know, having that day off to play with his drone is allows him to better concentrate on, on his start every fifth day, then so be it. And so, you know, and and we sort of let loose and, and let him do his thing. I mean, I know, you know, Randy Johnson during his days was a, a, a guy who had a reputation for having other interests, right? That who was wasn't really maybe uh, necessarily 100% into the four days he wasn't starting, right? But maybe letting Randy Johnson be a photographer in the spare time is the mental break Randy Johnson needs to be literally the most dominant pitcher of his era, you know, and, and one of the most dominant pitchers of all time. So, yeah, like, I am all about the mental break. I am all about partying with Justin Bieber if that's what you want to do, if that's what you need to do. Keep it safe. You know, don't get yourself arrested. Don't get yourself hurt. Uh, have some fun. Right, have some fun. I, I'm all for it. I, I wish that, I wish that that, and I know it's inevitable, but I wish that that uh, reaction that comes from so many people just did not exist anymore. You couldn't agree more, and and just don't pull Plaxico. That's all I ask. Just don't. Uh, just don't, don't shoot. Pull don't literally shoot yourself in the foot. Exactly. All right. I, guess, I guess it was the thigh, you know. But it's it too much. It's funnier if it's the foot, right? It's not literally <laughs> the foot. Uh, I said literally. It didn't was it was actually the thigh. They don't metaphorically. Don't literally shoot yourself or metaphorically shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, that was a wonderful moment in New York sports. Uh, so, yeah, a real baffling one back in the day. Let's, let's go on. I'm going to go with my uh, second thing, and this is a, this is a non-sports one. And, again, this is, a hype, this is the hyper-local uh, appeal I, I referenced earlier. And I want to put this, I, we're the podcast, the For the Win podcast, aims for global appeal naturally and so I would like to try to frame this in terms that people who don't live in our immediate neighborhood would appreciate but a huge thing for me and something I can't stop thinking about this week because of how incredibly convenient it is the second avenue subway 
just opened. It opened on New Year's Day. Uh, it's still running limited service, I believe, until Monday. Uh, but uh, I know I can speak for myself, and I, I think I can speak for people who live in our neighborhood. It's just so long overdue, and it just uh, it's such an incredible, to me, just such like a wonder of engineering even it makes me think about the subway itself and, and mass transit systems themselves in a way I might not have and I might have taken for granted if I didn't have to live the last five years through all of the construction that's been going on but like the idea that there is a series of tubes running under New York City that can connect you from basically any part of the city to any other part of the city for two dollars and fifty cents in a time frame that's gonna take Maybe an hour, you know, like if if you're going from our neighborhood to Coney Island, maybe you're on the train a little bit more than an hour. That's a long distance, and the idea of driving it is incre is insane. You'd never drive to Coney Island, right? It would take you forever, and, and I kind of love the idea that this thing is just like people are scared of it, and people think it's dirty, and people knock it all the time. Man, like, uh, all I saw uh, on Sunday and, and when I went and took the train for the, uh, the first time, and really all I've seen since then is just this, like, this joy and, like, almost this feeling from our neighborhood that people have, like, been released from this punishment that has been all the construction for the last few years. It's, it is a game changer. And, and for those of you listening who are not New Yorkers, I'm trying to figure out a, a, good, a good way to think about it. It's, I, I, I'm thinking about, like, if you're living in the suburbs and you, the only way to get from your, you know, area to the city is to drive, right? And, but suddenly somebody comes along and says, hey, like, here is, you know, like a little arm that extends from the city to your suburb and can grab you and say, come on in uh, with, with no traffic, with no nothing. And that's sort of, I guess, metaphoric. I don't know if that works. But, like, that's the only way I can think about it is, is if you're, you know, out, out in the middle of nowhere. And, and it, not that the Upper East Side is the middle of nowhere. Let's just put it out there. But if you look at a New York City uh, subway map, we, the Upper East Siders, which is the, the sort of the, the northern and eastern and part of... And I should of, say, we're both, we're both within like a quarter mile of a new subway stop. Like, it's especially local for me and you. Yes. It's, yes. We, we instead of us walking to... I had to walk 10 blocks from, from where I was going, which is a half a mile, which is, you know, no small feat. Uh, but, you know, again, if you're, uh, if you're trying to get from point A to point B in a certain amount of time, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, that's 10 to 15 minutes of, of walking time. And so all of a sudden you have something that is a two-block walk or a block walk, which is, which is uh, you know, cutting your time uh, by a lot. And it also leads us to the, to the, the west side of Manhattan. Uh, it is, I mean, there are so many things to say. And the really funny thing is, is uh, it's also making me feel bad in a way because everyone's making a big deal about, about it. And, and here we are, we're like, you know, already living in what I think a lot of people would say is a privileged part of, 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 the, of New York City of Manhattan. Uh, Which is ironic. It's, it's ironic that you say that because it, it and it feels that way too. But I live there because it's like literally the only affordable part of like one of the right, very few ironic. remaining affordable parts of Manhattan. Partly because it's never had subway access. Exactly, and now everyone's everyone. All of my friends who who rent apartments are really worried about uh, the rent going up, and, and this that's guy is very much included. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, good luck. Uh, and the, but the other thing is, it's funny, and, and this is just my own personal thing, having grown up uh, around the, the same area, is 
I think sometimes the Upper East Side gets this like really bad reputation because you read all these stories that go national that are like, oh, the Wall Street wives who live, you know, on the Upper East Side are getting, um, you know, I, I forgot what it was. Uh, this is a story in the New York Times. Just got I want to say whatever it was. It was like wife bonuses. They get like bonuses at the end of the year that they, you know. And I'm going, wait a second, that's not my Upper East Side. No, that's the that's, that's West. A those are bit, the those are the people who like I and that was always a six train thing for me or the four train is like a very different group of people head west from the Lexington Avenue line than the group of people heading east from the Lexington correct. Avenue line. That is correct. Yes. So I'm very excited about this subway. I hope those who are listening can understand how this is a game changer for, for all of us who live in this, this area. And, uh, you know, it means also that good restaurants have started popping up around us. And that's that's been quite good for anybody who's like, oh, I'm not living on the Upper East Side. It has no cool stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. Don't we have tell really them. Cool don't tell them. We don't want I'm trying not oh. to get priced out here. Yeah, all right, it's terrible. I'll say this, I'll say this for, for the subway, and this is, like, I, as best as I, I can explain the difference it makes. Like, and, and I'm not saying I go to Times Square a lot. I think that uh, if you live in New York, you probably try to avoid Times Square as much as possible, but there's reasons you need to be near Times Square a bunch of times. There's just a lot of stuff that happens there. If you're going to a concert, if you're going to a show, if, you know, whatever other reason, things on the west side, we're just so completely inaccessible from considering how short of a distance and and I take a bike around the city a lot so the bike makes it a, a little bit easier but for me going to the west side as of last week it was like I might as well have been going camping it would be like okay I need to like prepare my my bag for going to the west side like make sure you bring trail mix make sure you bring some beef jerky so a bottle of water you got to stay hydrated like you're going to be on the west side it's an all day affair right and now it's like Hey, there's a movie in Times Square in a half hour I want to see. I can just jump on the train and be there. You know, and it's just a, yeah, it's a complete game changer. Yeah, and, and uh, it's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, now it, all of a sudden you've got, you know, getting down downtown even. You know, uh, we, all the good stuff, well, not I wouldn't say all the good stuff, but a lot of the good stuff west side of, of, of South Manhattan. It's all great there, you know, so so you just jump on the queue and voila, you're there. And uh, for all the non-New Yorkers listening, I think that, that it's, it would be surprising if you haven't been to New York or you, you haven't you know, sort of lived in New York, to realize that it's actually really hard to get around this little island that is, is not much bigger than, I don't know, you know a, a, a pinky on, on a big map of the world. It, to get around is impossible, and it's gotten more impossible, especially with all this construction. That's something else I should add, by the way, is what a miracle it is to see this oh have my God, yeah. constructed day one and suddenly pop up. Uh, and spring up and be, you know, beautiful. It, 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 for some reason, I always thought about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I, I promise you this is going to be a good metaphor. It's, there was always, like, a digging machine in there. There was, like, a big, giant drill, and that's what I always imagined was making the tunnels. I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea how they did it. Um, I would like to see the machines that they used to make the tunnels, but I always imagined it was, like, that thing that they sold as a toy. It was, like, a big, giant drill. And I was like, I don't know how they do it, but maybe it's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles drill. I think it is a big, giant. I kind of assume it is a big, giant drill. And, and I'll say another aspect of how impressive it is is, and, like, and like 100%, I'm with you. Like, walking around on 2nd Avenue where there was all this construction has become so nice to see actual oh, buildings beautiful. in the sky and things that I just, like, just hadn't been there for really the entire, because I've lived in the neighborhood for five years, so there's been construction the entire time like I, I stood on the north 
west corner of 86th and 2nd for the first time in my life recently, you know, like two days ago. I have never been on the sidewalk there because it has just been blocked by construction the entire time I've lived in this neighborhood. Um, and now I can cross the street over there and it's nice and there's like a wide sidewalk. I can, I, you know, like I don't have to cram my way past people. Uh, it's also, I think, like it's, it's super impressive. Really, in retrospect, when you go down into the subway, you see how deep underground it is. It's yeah. impressive that it was that little construction. Like, I can't believe they didn't have to take down buildings to do this. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, what you said. It, it, and, but it also reminds you that we went through uh, whatever it is, seven years of hell of, of, you know, Second Avenue being a total mess. But it's over. It's done. We can, we can look into the future now. All right, yeah, so we earned this, and it's great, and I'm enjoying it, and I've already taken the train like four times in the three days it's been open, so it's dope. I can get to Chinatown really quick. I can get to Koreatown really quick, which is underrated. Like, you're like, why would I ever need to be in Herald Square? Yeah, that Korean great. food is incredible. Uh, it's fantastic. Give me your next good thing. Uh, my next good thing is something crazy happened in the NBA uh, last week, and uh, it got some, it got like justified enough attention. And and it's just it's kind of crazy to see kind of what's developing in the NBA because of of it. And and this is what happened: is the Houston Rockets star guard James Harden, the beard, he had uh, the first game with 50 points, 15 assists, and 15 rebounds plus. So he ended up with 53 points, 17 assists, 16 rebounds against the Knicks, which is insane. Which is which is crazy. Like it's, I don't know a ton about a, basketball stats, but I know that that's not a regular stat line. No, and what, what what's happening in the NBA basically this year is, is you've got two guys who are, are front runners for the MVP award, and and I, I'm not a huge person of like oh you know the awards mean something, but it's fun to kind of talk about and to speculate about, and and to see James Harden suddenly come alive, uh, the way he has under under new coach Mike D'Antoni, former Knicks coach who's known for his his fast style of play, uh, it's been it's been miraculous, and it's funny. Because everyone's talking about Russell Westbrook doing what Oscar Robertson is the only you, you know only person to do it in NBA history is to, to average a triple double over a season. Russell Westbrook is doing it right now, but then you look at James Harden's numbers; he's almost there. He just needs a few more uh, rebounds a game, and suddenly he would also be averaging a triple double. So this is insane, and I'm loving every minute of it. And uh, uh, I'm very excited to see kind of 2017 what happens next with, with, with this development. And no one's averaged a triple double since Oscar Robertson, right? Not one person, no. So that's incredible, but I, I also, and I, and I don't want to, if this is beyond uh, your, and you're an NBA guy, I know, but like this is a, a fairly complex question, so I don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to uh, foster on the podcast is, a, is an environment where you can say if you, if you don't know or you don't understand, but what is it that's changing about the NBA in recent seasons? Because I'm watching, uh, first of all, I, other than the fact that I, I have become more interested in it lately, which uh, sort of happened organically. Like, I just, I, now I find myself watching and enjoying NBA games in a way I really wasn't like four or five years ago. And part of what makes it so, I don't know, so aesthetically awesome to me, and, and it's definitely there if you watch these Harden highlights, is guys are just chucking them up from like 10 feet behind the three-point line and hitting like every shot. Is that is that a trend? Is like the three-point shooting uh, and the emphasis thereof, is is that something new to the NBA? You know, it's interesting you ask that, and, and uh, for your, you know, your purposes of, you know, I don't know, is that I, I can't quite answer it 100%, but I'll give you my take because I think I have a pretty decent take on it, is, is that you've had the statistical revolution. 
All right, let's give it a shot. The idea is that, that the NBA discovered through statistics and sort of through, you know, the, the best thing that happened in the NBA was these cameras, sport view cameras being installed into each arena where you could track every second of every game with where players are on the court, what they're doing, you know, how many miles they're running, all kinds of amazing stats. Same way in baseball that you've seen the, the advent of, um, you know, uh, cameras Stack to track and where, pitch effects and right, all those things, Exactly. Similar kind of thing happening in the NBA. And what they've done with that data they, is they've discovered all kinds of things about players and, uh, you know, sort of defense. A whole long laundry list of things that they didn't know re previously or had theories about that they could now confirm with hard stats. That's the first thing. The second thing is they figured out that the, the most efficient shot in the NBA, if, and, you know, stat, people listening to this can, can call me up and say, you know, you're wrong. It's that the most efficient shot is the, the, the corner three. So people have started sort of creating offenses around the fact that you can have, you know, three-point shooters uh, mixed in with guys like uh, James Harden who can do everything, shoot threes, drive to the hoop, pass, rebound occasionally. And, and what happens is, is you start getting these offenses that can just pour it in. And defenders, by the way, who become valuable, same thing in other sports, you get defenders who are these, you know, uh, more valuable, you know, you, you sign a guy who averages two points a game, you go, why is that guy valuable? It turns out he plays the best, you know, defense, perimeter defense in the NBA. So, um, so the answer to your question, I think, is what's changed is these teams have figured out how to do their offenses and 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 uh, on the other side of the court similarly they figured out how to how to play the game right and also you also have other factors like rules like the fact that you know there's no hand checking like there was in Michael Jordan's day and uh, uh, you know zone defenses instead of you can play zone you don't have illegal defense anymore Th those kinds of developments I think have certainly helped yeah I think that the defensive changes have been because that was always a big aspect to me of what why I because I always preferred aesthetically the college game to the NBA game for so long and I was like well they're not playing real defense you know like, like it's just it just feels like it was um, it was all kind of like the all-star game to me for a while and it's like ah, oh, this is just now I don't know and and like I love more scoring I want more like that's cool I'm good with that but I like that there's like it feels like there's a little bit more strategy to it and it feels like there are just so many of these just exceptionally talented long-range shooters and maybe that's just a, a matter of emphasis and a matter of freeing those guys up and saying like yeah take that shot but it's cool to see like Harden's drawing double teams from like 30 feet out you know and, yeah. and then it just it makes so many more cool things can happen offensively when you're getting that type of scheme and when you're when you're I don't know it's just it's it's been a fun thing to watch and and I guess it's and like I you just wrote about uh, Westbrook how, how Westbrook has been the MVP it's also kind of cool to see the NBA is the NBA. Um, it's a funny. It's a funny. You know, I think that to me, like football, is such a incredibly team-oriented sport, right? Like it to me, it's always like if all eleven guys do what they're supposed to do, you're going to succeed. If they don't. If there are too many leaks, you won't, right? And and baseball, it's sort of the opposite of that, right? Like, if you put Mike Trout on the Angels, he's going to be worth this much. If you put Mike Trout on the Houston Astros, he's going to be worth exactly that much. He'll get more opportunities to drive in runs, maybe, but uh, it's not going to change the type of player he is. You know, like, he's going to... Because in baseball, while it's a team sport, it all sort of boils down to these individual matchups, right? Whereas basketball is sort of in the middle there, um, in that, you know, every single play 
is for the the thunder runs uh the thunder run i guess and i don't <laughs> one thing i don't love about basketball is the singularly named team but every play the thunder run is going to go through westbrook right and so you can say like well it is more of an individual sport in that you know one guy is just going to be such a huge factor into every game but to some extent you need good teammates around you to to make yourself that star individual Right, and I think that's what's happening with with Harden. I mean, I saw a video, and I, I wish I could credit somebody for it, but I saw a video months ago about what D'Antoni has done and kind of how they've constructed the team. And it's yes, Harden is your first banana. Your your you know your main the offense goes through him, and they're giving basically they put the ball in his hands. And what that's done is he can drive to the hoop, and if he's getting doubled, he can kick it out. If he's getting single coverage, he's going to, you know, get to the hoop with ease because that's what he's good at. But it, they've surrounded him with all these three-point shooters, so basically he drives, he gets doubled, past the open man who's, who's you know, a, a, an efficient shooter behind the, the three-point arc, you know, guys like Eric Gordon who can shoot pretty well from three, and Ryan Anderson who's kind of their, their um, stretch, stretch four, as they call it, you know, the, the power forward who can hit from, from deep. And then, you know, if all else fails, they have a guy who's injured right now, Clint Capella, who's their, their kind of big, tall, lanky center. You know, Harden has, had, when he was healthy, he, Harden was kind of getting to the, the, you know, to the paint, was getting doubled. So he'd just throw up kind of a, a, a lob for Capella, who would just dunk it with efficiency. So they found this sort of ultra-efficient way of going about things, giving Harden the ball and the opportunity to have three or four different options on on any given play it's it's pretty great to watch and uh um you know to see harden and westbrook too i mean westbrook's doing it sort of with fewer i think teammates uh and and it's just incredible to watch with d'antoni why didn't that work in new york I, they didn't surround him with D'Antoni players, as I remember it. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember who was on that roster. Because, oh, you know what it was? I think that was right when they traded for Carmelo. And, yeah. and i got to make sure I'm right. But before that, they had, like, the inklings of it. A D'Antoni team is like, remember the Suns? I don't know if you, you followed the Phoenix Suns of the of the 2000s with Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, a healthy Amari Stoudemire. And, and uh, all these, these sort of, you know the three seconds or less, you know, they get down the court and score within whatever it is, seven or eight seconds on the, on the shot clock. And the, the Knicks didn't kind of have that roster for him. And sometimes, you know, uh, with, with schemes, you don't have the personnel to fit the scheme. And then of course you've got, you know, uh, people upstairs going trade for the star. So they traded all these kind of, you know, players that might've fit a little bit better into that system. And they ended up, you know, obviously getting Carmel Anthony who's one of the, you know, top 10 maybe players in the league, but you know, you got to find the the personnel that works with you know a very fast uh, uh, scheme. So uh, I just read something about Tyron Lewis, the the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, about how he was trying to push the Cavaliers when when he took over last year to run kind of more, go faster, a little more, and they were just weren't in the shape for it. So I think he kind of uh, peeled back from that. But you know, I think that was the reasoning, and that's sad because the Knicks would have loved to have had sort of the Suns 2.0. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, and, and it's something you, you noticed with Harden, right, is the assists. It's like you want to have that score, and it's, again, part of the fun thing in basketball. If you're a really good passer, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to score. You know, it's a, it's like a, it's a little bit of a, and this is like old hat to anyone who's following the NBA, right? But, uh, it, you know, you create scoring opportunities by being willing to pass the ball sometimes. And, and I don't know that Carmelo is like really the great passer that James Harden is. Obviously. No, unfortunately. He's gotten better recently, but that, yeah, no, not, not, not even close. All right. Uh, next thing, and, you know, I said we're going we're gonna to go broad here. And so you and I both did, as I referred to earlier, 
lists of things to look forward to in 2017. Now, yours was sports focused. Mine was sort of generally focused uh, and tried to, you know, there's been a lot of backlash to 2016. 2016 was a rough year for a lot of people in a lot of ways. 2017 will be a rough year for many, many people in many ways, undoubtedly. Uh, but I was trying to accentuate the positive and look for some, <coughs> excuse me, uh, some some things to be excited about for 2017, and I got 17 of them up on the site, uh, and one of them uh, that's especially compelling to me, and uh, sort of one of these things that I think we take for granted a little bit. Uh, 2017 might become the year when half of the world, half of the world's population, has internet access at home. Uh, there are uh, there were 3.4 billion people used the internet at home in 2016. That number is obviously way up already. Uh, you know, we get new internet users every single day, and I am kind of fascinated with. I feel like we don't fully grasp how incredible the internet is. Like, maybe we do on some conceptual level, but I think when you're in the day-to-day -day grind of it, it's like, well, this is where I work. I go on the internet, and I churn out stuff that people will share with their friends on Facebook, and we talk about sports, and we yell about things on Twitter, and we do all these little, these little picture things, like the narrow focus things on the internet. And I don't know that we fully appreciate the sort of grand encompassing scheme of this achievement and this innovation that just wasn't around like 20 years ago and and so the example I used and and it's something I think about a lot because I, I feel like and maybe this is just optimism in me I feel like it's gonna bring the world a, a whole lot of good down the road is that people who there's just so many more people have access to so much more information is basically the bottom of it. And, and I think that, you know, you can say, like, 30 years ago, someone growing up in, you know, rural Mississippi without, uh, and, uh, you know, and, like, I'm not trying to, this is not like trying to take, like, a, a urban-focused or an urban-centric view of the world, but if you're growing <laughs> up in the middle of nowhere and you don't necessarily have, you know, a singular great driven teacher who spies you and latches onto you and tries to develop all like you need so many different things to go right if you are maybe a prodigy in the world of physics and you're growing up in some place without you know a, a lot of access to great libraries and a lot of access to teachers who can really foster that in you and now if you're that same person and you have the internet guess what you can go to the wikipedia and you can learn like far 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 beyond the introductory knowledge to quantum physics in like one day and so I, I kind of, and like, again, you're still going to need teachers to, to harness that, and you're still going to need, uh, you know, college education to, to help you, you know, focus your studies and figure out what you want to do. But I just feel like so much more is out there for people right now that it, it feels like the rate at which we innovate is about to explode. And I feel like we don't really understand, and, and especially, you know, you and I were both in our mid-30s, we grew up, you know, still arguing about facts, right? You would still, there would be times when it'd be like, oh, this guy hit 40 home runs this year, and I'd be like, no, he didn't. And there'd be no way to look that up, right? And now, there will never be another argument about facts, as long as you have the internet, and there will never be a situation, if you were one of these half of all humanity, where you're curious about something, and you have unfettered access to the internet, you can learn about anything you're curious about, and I think that's incredible.
It's it's pretty mind blowing, and 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 the fact that you you cited that that was the thing that stood out to me about your your wonderful list was I was like wait a second only half, and then you start thinking about it, and and you think about you know the rest of the world who might not have access, and you think wow that's the fact that a that half is is about to to have the internet at its disposal is incredible, and the fact that the other half doesn't is equally mind blowing, and it also reminds me of the fact by the way that that there are still people out there who are you know, maybe they're listening. I don't know. Hi there. Uh, who are like still AOL dial-up subscribers? That always kind of blows my mind. It's sort of tangential to what you're saying, but it it, it is a it's sort of a similar reminder that the internet is is still in its in its nascent stages, and and that's crazy because what's going to happen next with it? Uh, but yeah, there are people out there who are still you know you know still signing on that way. And, uh, and, 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 you know, it means that, that we're still, you know, just, you know, years and years away from this being even bigger and having more people have access to it. It's, it's yeah, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think the Internet has obviously bred, like, a, a bit of impatience in us and, uh, because everything is instantaneous. And, you know, when you, when you think about it, right, like, like uh, to me, the Internet is as big a deal as, like, the printing press, right? And I don't think, like, in, sure. in 1330, people were like, oh, yeah, well, here it is. We're done with the printing press. We've got the full extent of what this is going to bring us, right? Like, this is, this is massive, right? Like, we're not even going to see in our lifetimes, I think, the full extent of the Internet's power. And, and I, I guess maybe that's a, a biased view because we're people who work on the Internet. But at this point, it's like everyone works on the Internet. And, and, and everyone, uh, or at least those 3.5 billion people who have the Internet in their homes, it seems like so many of us, and, and again, this is a, a sort of a narrow-minded view because it's so hard to conceive of the 3.5 billion people who don't have the Internet yet. But it seems like you know we just rely on computers and our ability to save information Information, our ability to send information uh, so heavily now, and we, we just take so much of it for granted. And, but think about, like, think about uh, next time you use your phone or next time you uh, email someone a document. Think about what you would have had to do to do those things 30 years ago, right? Like, think about if I want to, if I want to send you something I'm working on right now, I just, I could just email it to you. It will be there in seconds, and you'll say, okay, I've got it. If it were 30 years ago, I'd have to print that out and walk it over to your apartment, and that would take a long time. Uh, and, and you just said something really funny. You said email. You could instant message it to me. That's like how how quickly we've gotten, you know, email is actually yeah. somewhat slow in its now own way. Now it's like, ah, yeah. oh, I don't want to check my email. Text it. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and at, at previous jobs, it was like, how did you communicate? Oh, by, you know, uh, emailing. And people would be like, well, that's slow. And it's like, oh, my God, like, where did that go? You know, that, that email had become, you know, snail mail, which I always loved as a term, was, you know, now is like email kind of a little bit slow in its own way? I mean, I think theoretically, yeah, because then you can text somebody or you can, you know, Use an instant messaging app or things like that. It's 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 crazy, and it can only get quicker, which is even scarier. Which means our our news cycle is even going to get quicker than it is now. I remember when we got a fax machine at my parents' house, and it was like the biggest deal, and we could fax people stuff. And I would send <laughs> prank faxes to people who I knew had, had fax machines, like, "Hello, it's your fax machine. Uh, <laughs> you know, please feed me ink or whatever." Oh God, yeah. That now we're gonna now we're dating ourselves because yeah, that that. Uh, but prank faxes, that's pretty. There was a good, great fax prank on on the office that that reminds me of. But that again, tangential. Uh, that 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 is makes me feel old. But I and I remember the first computer I ever got and the first time I ever signed on to CompuServe. 
and went to chat rooms and all kinds of things. It's it's it, we've come a very long way since our childhood. Yeah, I was on I was on Prodigy when I was Prodigy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, full blown. Like yeah, it was it was so different, and we're so old. And again, but again, you know, like uh, thirty years ago. I think that our experience, if we were the same, you know, 35-year-old dudes or whatever in 1985, it would be like, oh, our experiences aren't really that much different from the people who are 10 years younger than us. And now the people who are 10 years younger than us don't really remember life before the Internet. Like, it's just such a, uh incredibly, uh, like, diverse. Yeah, it's just everything's changing. Everything's changing so quickly. And it's dope. It's, I think, yeah, there's some downsides to it but i think for the most part the internet pretty good thing yeah all right so give me your last good thing for for this week well yeah so along those same lines i wrote kind of the 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 16 things sports fans can look forward to in 2017 and that included a lot of a lot of stuff that seems kind of obvious that the patriots might make another run of the super bowl i'm actually kind of secretly excited about that because i i like sports dynasties and they are really truly a dynasty and them winning another Super Bowl, you know, everyone might roll their eyes, but then we'll look back 30 years later, you know, later we'll, we'll, there'll be books written about the, the Bill Belichick dynasty, and you'll say, wow, like, Yeah, you know, it's like that's... the Yankees of the 20s and 30s or something. It's incredible. Right. It's incredible, especially in the NFL with all the parody, you know, that they, that they keep just doing what they, they do, and it's exciting to see what's happening next to them. Um, more, you know, there's more about Tiger Woods that I'm excited about, even though, like, he's, you know, probably over the hill, but, like, the, the, the possibility of him kind of... Uh, doing something at a tournament. It's like it gets everybody's hearts racing. So, you know, I'll definitely agree that I'm excited about that. We talked to NBA before, like the possibility of Warriors Cavaliers part three in the finals would be incredible. The one I want to focus on here, because I think we would have fun talking about it, is the the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the, the new NHL team, is going to have an expansion draft in June. And I love expansion drafts because it's fantasy sports come to life. It's basically like, here, you get to choose, you know, all these unprotected players and put them on your team. And, you know, yeah, your team might be, you know, kind of iffy uh, going forward, but uh, they'll be competitive. And, you know, it's exciting for fans of that franchise that's, uh, that's coming to watch their team be put together piece by piece from pieces around the NHL. And they can start kind of rooting for it now because we know kind of the rules of the of the, the expansion draft. And so the trade deadline is going to come and certain teams are going to trade somebody who might they might leave unprotected, for example. Um, uh, and and there the, are all kinds of things that come along with that. So I'm pretty pretty psyched about that. I don't know if the rest of the world is. I bet the NHL fans are. But just in general, just really cool to see that happen. Well, and I'm, I'm also intrigued by the idea of sports teams in Vegas, right? Because this has been a thing for years, for years, especially in baseball. It's always like, should we expand to Las Vegas? Could we expand to Las Vegas? What will happen if we expand to Las Vegas? And, you know, baseball has sort of a, a buttoned-up approach to sports gambling, which uh, it, you know, commits some hypocrisy with it now and then by also, uh, you know, being like, oh, no, no, we couldn't dare have a team in Vegas, but we can, like, partner with DraftKings and FanDuel and all these things, right? So uh, I feel like those lines are being increasingly blurred. It's not 1919 anymore and the, or 1918, 19, mm-hmm. and, the, and the Black Sox scandal, which is really what baseball is, like, still reeling from and still trying to protect the integrity of its game. I get that. You absolutely have to do that. There's, like, uh, certainly we've heard stories 
you know, the NBA ref, Tim Donahue, not long ago talking about that. And guys, uh, NCAA football guys who have said, yeah, like people absolutely have offered me opportunities to, to throw games, right? Like I feel like we think that's a foreign concept that would never happen here, but it, it could totally happen here in the right circumstances, you know? So, yeah, I get why they have to be careful, but at the same time, like, that's not a good reason to deny the city of Las Vegas a professional sports team if, if it can pr- pr- uh, if it can support one, right? Because there's gambling now everywhere, right? So it's, there's no reason yeah. a guy in Vegas is any more likely to throw a game than a guy in in San Diego, other than, you know, maybe he uh, is slightly more li- more likely to have lost all of his money at, at the tables the, the night before. Uh, I'm kind of interested in, in it uh, from the perspective of, like, how will this go? Because I think the the criticism of Vegas as a sports city has always been, well, it's, yes, yes, it's a great uh, economic situation in that it's it's a bunch of people coming to this central place to spend money, and there's always, you know, there's always tons of people in Vegas, and people are there on holiday, people are there to sort of go out and have a good time, on, on a, in addition to all of the people uh, who now just live in that city as a place to live, uh, a lot of the industry there obviously is, is tourism and is casinos and is just about you know the exchange of money so i'm intrigued to see like how that team's fan base sort of develops right is it um people who come to vegas and you know you know because again people come to vegas from everywhere around the country and around the world right so maybe it's that well i don't have a local nhl team but i'll tell you what i go to vegas twice a year and every time I go there, I want to watch this hockey team. That might become my team. Uh, I, or is it just locals? And maybe it's like a thing tourists can do on the side, but it's all local support. I don't really know how it's going to shake out. I kind of want to see how it does. I think that's a really uh, good point. I'm going to argue for the locals, though, because and I, you know, th- this is where my knowledge goes out the window. I don't know how many locals there are in Las Vegas. I only think of, like, Bryce Harper, right? He's from, uh, from Las Vegas, right? They, he is, and so is, so is Chris Bryant. In, in Chris Atlanta. Bryant, right. Uh, yeah, it's they like grew a hotbed right. of baseball talent now. Which is so fascinating, and that's its own separate podcast. But yes, like that, that idea, I, th- I would go with the fact that, that the, there is some kind of local... Um, I, I guess you wouldn't put a franchise in a city that wasn't thriving and wasn't asking for one, right? You know, obviously, like you said, there are people coming in and out of Vegas every weekend, every day, every, you know, every week of, of the year, um, rain or shine, because there's not a lot of rain. Um, but yeah, the idea of of the, the sort of the locals taking it on the consistent the, the, the your season ticket holders basically, I think they obviously know that there's some kind of thirst for that. Um, I think of you know uh, events there, you know, with with uh, you know celebrities coming in and out, and that, that might be another draw too, right? Like you've got Justin Bieber. Hey, let's talk about him again. You know, coming in to see, and hypothetically, if this happens next season, an NFL team, uh, you know, there as well. You know, you're going to draw big names because those big names are also there in Vegas and they'll say oh like let's bring me and my my pals like to a Golden Knights game or a you know hypothetically I don't know a Raiders game you know that kind of thing so yeah I think it, it will be local but there will be I think that the, the local uh, the locals and the sort of the, the all-around, the people of their all-around will probably be the supporters but the fact that they have the glitz and glam of people coming in and out I think will undoubtedly support it in, in a bigger way than they would in uh, I'm trying to think of another a non-Las Vegas location. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I think that the locals will definitely support it, but that the, the, the it has the glitz and glam of, of a non-Oklahoma City-type uh, franchise that, that you wouldn't get anywhere else. 
Uh, yeah, and, and I think, so I, I just looked it up. Uh, Vegas is the 40th largest media market in the United States. Uh, and, and again, hockey is drawing on both the United States and, and Canada, so you can, you can bump it down a few notches there if you're talking about in North America, but roughly in the same range as Oklahoma City, which we've seen support a basketball team, uh, but also places that you never really consider for uh, pro sports expansion, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, which kind of is in the Miami footprint, uh, also Birmingham, Alabama, not someplace people frequently talk about expanding a, a, a major league team or a pro football franchise too, uh, but it's it's right there with San Antonio, another team that has supported teams. Like I think it's a it's sort of in like the hit or miss territory, depending on you know on on how your team sort of catches hold. I, I think there's a case to be made for it just on population, but I would expect that. Uh, part of the draw of moving a team, of expanding a team to Vegas, is that glitz and glamour and all of the people who are coming into Vegas, right? Because if you're looking just on population, on, on, on size of the media market, mm -hmm. you could make a better case for putting a team back in Hartford, where they already had a team, right? Because Hartford right. Is, is 30 on this same list. But I think you say, okay, well, but Hartford's so close to Boston, it's so close to New York, uh, New York has basically three teams. Boston has a team, uh, Las Vegas, sort of out in the middle of nowhere by design, right? And so maybe not only do you draw from that fairly large market, you draw all the people who come in from, from, uh, from elsewhere as tourists, and you draw like all of Nevada in general. Yeah, and, and, and I'm really excited for, for just seeing how they sort of take advantage of that Las Vegasness, by the way, you know that that's kind of my other like excitement is to see, you know, like every city has its own kind of uh, footprint on, on the on the team, you know, like I don't know Columbus, they have this giant, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets have a giant cannon that goes off after every goal, uh, you know, uh, and and you've got um, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another good example, uh, you know, baseball teams have it, basketball teams, just their little things, and Las Vegas, I don't know what they're going to do, like I don't know, they're going to have like. You know, uh, uh, I don't know. Mariah Carey come out at halftime to do, you know, or during the, the periods, you know, to to promote her show, or Britney yeah, Spears I, come out. You know, I'm almost imagining really like cool. like in boxing where like the the people come out like dressed up all fancy to, to announce like between periods, someone will come around with a sign that just says two when the next period is. You know, like <laughs> either like a you know, I, I don't want to just in in boxing. It's always a, a, a incredibly attractive woman. I don't want to narrow it to that. It could be a incredibly attractive men. As well, but just like hot people walking around with the the sign announcing the the period that's coming next is something right. I think would work with Vegas. Yeah, the Caesar's Palace guy, like you know the 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 tro you know the the guys dressed like a Trojan warrior, you know, like they like yeah, when I go those guys to do it, you know, I think there's there's a lot of cross promotion that I think the teams that would go there or are going to be there are going to see and they see it you know dollar signs popping up in front of their eyes and the other fun thing is by the way and I just again total tangent for a second is I really want Las Vegas and nobody's talked about this to do an outdoor game because they did one years ago the first outdoor game in the NHL was in Las Vegas this is a fun fact that the Rangers played the Kings uh, Gretzky's Kings um, in the 90s and it's such a fun story, like how they got the ice to, to, to kind of sit there. And uh, uh, grasshoppers came onto the ice because they were sort of attracted to the light. It's such what a wacky What the hell story. is this? <laughs> yeah, this is this actually, yeah, exactly. Like, whoa, you know, and then they froze. And it's like, you know, uh, it, it's such a cool thing. So I'm like kind of hoping that, that, you know, they say, well, we could pull this off again. We have, we know the technology. We've done this before now with a ton of outdoor games. They just finished their round of outdoor games uh, this year. 
So, you know, try it again in Las Vegas because that, that is such a, an attraction, such a feat that it would be cool to see again. I would watch that. I would go see an outdoor game in Las Vegas, and then I would go to a casino, and I would lose way too much money, which would be my concern about pro sports teams. <laughs> in Vegas, is there will be more reason for me to be there, and me and Vegas is like a very not a great mix. <laughs> well, that, that's, and that's why they're putting teams there, is, is for people like you. All right. Well, uh, Charles, thanks. This is uh, like the for the fifth straight time with me hosting the podcast. We've gone way longer than I expected, but I tend to think that's good. I think we're we're uh, developing some good conversations here. I completely agree. Thanks for having me on. So again, check out what Charles is doing at For the Win. Check out what I'm doing at For the Win. It's ftw.usatoday.com. Uh, please listen, rate, review the podcast. It's on SoundCloud. It's on Stitcher. It's on iTunes. We love feedback. You can get at me on Twitter. You can get at Charles on Twitter. We're both on Facebook. We're available via practically every form of social media. You can Snapchat me if you want. I'm not sure I will know how to check it, but I will try to uh, at least oblige whatever it is you're saying. Uh, thanks for sticking with us for a full hour yet again. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Peace out.